You're listening to ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. Pediophilia. Hundreds, if not thousands, of lives are ruined every year by child predators. But this is 2007, not the dark ages where it was covered up and not spoken about. How has research investigated this area of pathology? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Ryan C. Hall. Dr. Hall is a senior resident in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at John Hopkins University and the current Rappaport Fellow from the American Academy of Psychiatry and the Law. His father is Dr. Richard Hall, who was a courtesy clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of Florida. Together, they've just published a paper in the Mayo Clinic Proceedings entitled, A Profile of Pediophilia. Today, we're discussing research in pediophilia. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us today, Dr. Hall. Thank you for having me as a guest on your show. Tell us, what research is being done right now with pediophilia? Well, there's kind of three big areas where people are doing research. Uh, One is looking at maybe biological or brain-based causes for this behavior. Uh, Another is trying to identify environmental factors and the importance they play. And the third is trying to develop actuarial tests to kind of help people in the court system decide if somebody is at risk of offending again or not. And, uh, you know, that will affect probation or paroles or uh, follow-up treatment regulations after after their release from custody. What does the neuroimaging show in this population? I'm very curious. There's a lot of different neuroimaging studies out there, and as their techniques get better and better, we're finding, uh, you know, more and unusual things. One of the kind of basic studies was done by uh, Schiffel. I may be mispronouncing that, but it's uh, S-C-H-I-F-F-E, who was using voxel-based imaging mechanisms to look at the brains of, I believe, 12 heterosexual pedophiles, 12 homosexual pedophiles, and 24 co- uh, controls. And he found that there was a decrease in the uh, gray matter of the brain in the pedophiles versus the controls. And specifically, he noted changes in the bilateral uh, ventral striatum, the insula, and the uh, orbital frontal uh, cortex, and also some changes in the cerebellum. These findings are similar to a lot of other studies that have been done out there, although not necessarily the bilateral changes. Uh, Now, there was also a PET study done by Cohen that found changes in the temporal lobe, uh, which is always an area of interest uh, for sexual issues because, you know, people with seizure uh, disorders can be hypersexual, and people with the Clover-Busey syndrome, uh, which is basically missing your bilateral temporal lobes, usually are uh, hyposexual. And with Cohen's PET study, he found that there was an increase of glucose metabolism in the temporal cortex and the superior frontal uh, gyrus for pediophiles. So it, there may be some uh, some brain changes there on the studies. The question is, is are we seeing changes related to comorbid conditions, because you can see similar changes with OCD and with PTSD, or these diseases that have a common circuit pathway that breaks down, and we're just finding a general common circuit that's broken, not a specific pediophilic per se defect. But aren't there neurochemical differences as well? There are. There was a great study done by uh, Mays that was looking at giving uh, a serotonin agonist to uh, pediophiles and versus a control population, and then looking at the hormonal response to it. And I want to be careful I present this correctly because I believe May's finding found that the general level of cortisol and prolactin was a little bit low to about the same between pediophiles and controls. But they noticed that the change in magnitude of a response to serotonin was much greater for the uh, pediophiles. 
Uh, and they also found that the pediophiles reported more physical symptoms when they were exposed to the uh, agonists, such as dizziness, restlessness, appetite, but they didn't have the same degree of body changes. And Mays took this to indicate that there may be a problem with the presynaptic serotonin receptors, that they're underactivated, and that there's an increased sensitivity to post-synapse serotonin receptors. And what's interesting is, is for a while now, we've known that there are different types of anxiety conditions based off of uh, serotonin receptor changes. And, you know, we refer to it as the long, long chain or short chain receptor. And it's hoped that maybe in the future we'll find a similar change uh, for other conditions with impulse control issues or urges or driven, which may explain or help us predict people who are prone to become pediophiles. And I know they've also looked at intelligence in this population. How is it measured and what role did they find that um, intelligence plays? Intelligence, I thought, was a very interesting area. And part of the problem, though, is, is you get mixed findings. You know, Blanchard did a study, and I believe he was out of Toronto, that found that when they compared bisexual pedophiles, homosexual pedophiles, heterosexual pedophiles, and controls, that the bisexual and the homosexual offenders were much lower in terms of their IQ than the heterosexual and the normal controls. And part of the reason this occurred was there was a larger group that had mental retardation in the bisexual and homosexual offender category. Now, another study was done by Beer in Germany, which actually found that heterosexual pedophiles had a lower intelligence, but that study excluded mental retardation as uh, part of the grouping criteria. So, you know, you may kind of have a, an end of the tail uh, and may find that people who are mentally retarded who have these urges are a little more prone to, uh, to offending against uh, same-sex children or multiple children. And then the question is, is, is this change in intelligence a potential marker for a brain disturbance or a neurobehavioral uh, abnormality? And, you know, people have been looking for things like that in other areas as well. There's a slight reference to increased number of pedophiles who are left-handed versus controls. And, you know, so people are really trying to find where is the broken part of the brain, and intelligence may be a way to look at it. Or intelligence may be a marker of the environment they were raised in. You know, people who didn't have proper nutrition or were neglected themselves are at risk of having a lower intelligence. And that may be what we're picking up on here. So it's still up in the air in a question, but it's an area that I think is going to hopefully bear some fruit in the future. You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Ryan Hall, and we're discussing research in the area of pedophilia. Dr. Hall, what have we learned about environmental factors? How important is that? There seems to be several environmental factors that show up when you when you go back and look at the literature. Uh, you know, one of the ones I kind of liked is they did a study of people who had head trauma before the age of six that involved a loss of consciousness. And kind of the underlying hypothesis is that having a head trauma that early of an age affects the brain and then therefore results in an abnormal behavior. You know, and people have also noted that a high percentage of pedophiles report being abused as children themselves. And there's this whole notion of the abuse to abuser cycle. And it's unclear why that is, is this, you know, they've learned sexual behavior wrong, that this is a way for them to compensate and try and take a dominant role when they in the past have been the victim. And depending on what your take on, you know, the science of this and your background training, you can make a lot of different stories out of this. I do caution people, though, with being abused as a child because there are a lot of people out there who were abused who don't become pedophiles as well. So it may be a part, but it's not the full story to it. 
And also, a lot of time, this abuse is reported while in court or uh, during treatment. It may be an attempt to try and gain sympathy or to justify or rationalize the event or the act they, uh, they engaged in. And then another factor which has popped up a little bit and has also been seen in some of the data looking at uh, homosexuality is, at least in males, the birth order. They found that the later you are in terms of the male birth order, meaning you have more older brothers, the higher the chances of you being a pedophile or possibly uh, being homosexual. And people have theorized this might be due to an anti-male maternal antibody. And again, I'm not convinced yet that that's 100% a fact, but it's an interesting theory. Uh, it also could be a marker for something else, though. You know, if you're lower down on the birth order, you may have an older mother, uh, maybe a lot of different environmental factors, a lot of kids around you when growing up. So it, it's unclear what that may represent in the environment, but it's an area to look at. Yeah, it would all have to be separated out in terms of subgroup analysis and confabulating uh, factors. What are some of the difficulties with obtaining research data on this population that is accurate and reproducible with pedophiles? I mean, can these subjects be relied upon? Aren't a lot of them incarcerated at the time that they're tested or questioned? Not only are they incarcerated at the time, a lot of them are also in mandatory treatment after the fact or on probation and parole. So they have an added incentive not to be honest because it could lead to them being sent back to jail. And there was a couple of studies done by uh, Abel's group out of Georgia where they gave questionnaires to people and asked how many times they offended. And then they gave blinded questionnaires that they had approval of the IRB not to reveal to the courts, and the courts understood that. And the numbers they got back were much higher than the original questionnaire. So, I mean, that kind of suggests that people were dramatically underreporting. Also, a lot of these studies are self-reported, and it's hard to confirm. I mean, very few of them use lie detectors to see, you know, is this person telling the truth as best we can tell? And there's really incentives for people to downplay the number of victims they've had. The other thing is, is this research tells us about people who have either acted against children or who have been caught. This doesn't tell us about the number of people or the characteristics of people out there who are having these urges or desires but are not engaging in a crime. Uh, and it may be very important to study that group in order to know why they're successful in order to have new treatments or new therapies to help the group that is acting against children. And then at the same time, that group is very hard to reach, no? Very hard to reach. Very few of them want to come in voluntarily because they don't want to be labeled as a child molester or as a pedophile. They don't want to be on a sex registry list. They're worried that they'll lose their job, their housing, their employment, that their family will be at risk. And again, a lot of people forget that pedophiles half the time are married and do have, you know, family and fathers and mothers and all that they're worried about as well. Is there any evidence-based methodology out there? Yes and no. There's a lot of evidence out there, and the question is, is making sure you apply it appropriately. Uh, people have been trying to do blinded studies when possible. They have been trying to have proactive, far-reaching studies into the future. But this isn't, unfortunately, like cholesterol, where we can get blood levels and see it directly. Uh, you know, what we're having to rely on is if they get caught again, if they're being honest with us, and if the group we're looking at applies. So if we get data, let's say, for somebody who engaged in an act of incest, does that mean we can take those results and then apply it to somebody who is, you know, mentally retarded bisexual pedophile? And sometimes you can, but sometimes you can't. So I think you have to look at each case individually, and you can see if they apply to general trends. 
Now, there's been a lot of work done in trying to come up with actuarial tables to determine risk of reoffense, and they look at static factors such as you know the age of the victim when first offense, the age of the individual when they offended, and they also look at current factors like are they engaged in treatment and how are they done while incarcerated to try and determine if they're at a high risk, medium, or a low risk of reoffending. So there, there is study out there, and the data is trying to be collected. But it, what we have now is a lot of time been done on small samples where there is some question of reliability. Finally, Dr. Hall, can you give us any hope for the future based on the science and research that's been applied to this area, which in the past was really just swept under the rug? Oh, I think there's always hope for the future. I mean, we're learning more and more every day. And in a strange way, you know, things that people are worried about, such as the Internet, are also going to be a great tool because it's going to help get information out there. The fact that that it's becoming more of a mainstream conversation. You know, in a strange way, even though it's a little bit sensationalized, the fact that there is to catch a predator, that people are talking about it, that they're now realizing that pedophiles are not just, you know, the dirty old man in a trench coat and a bag of candy luring, you know, naive children away. I want to thank Dr. Ryan Hall, who's been our guest today. We've been discussing research in the area of pedophilia. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.